John chapter 4. When they therefore, when, excuse me, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. Then the woman of Samaria, Samaria said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me a drink, thou would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life or everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this living water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said unto him, I have no husband, Jesus. I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our father worshipped in this mountain, and ye say it is in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye shall worship, ye worship what you know not. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now tonight I want to talk about several things, but what I really wanted to get into was four different ways 
that this woman's attitude changed throughout this conversation. We're going to talk about that, but we're going to get into a little bit of details here before we do. Is that okay? There's some details here that, that we need before we can go on any farther, okay? Now, first thing that you notice is that it says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Or the ESV, I believe, says he had to pass through. Isn't that what it says? It says, uh, where is it? He had to pass through Samaria. Now, there are several different ways we could take this. We could take it as it stands that uh, if you have a map in your Bible like I do, you'll notice that uh, Galilee is up by Capernaum, by the Sea of Galilee. That's the region of Galilee. That's where Jesus was going, right? Judea is a larger region to the south of Samaria, that is around Jerusalem, Bethany, Lebanon, Ephraim. It's got all those cities in there. And in between Galilee and Judea is Samaria. And Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. Okay? This is the literal interpretation is he had to go that way. Now, he didn't have to go directly through Sychar, and he didn't have to go directly through Samaria. What he could have done is he could have went back to the east, crossed the Jordan River, went up, and came back into Galilee that way. Most Jewish men, if they didn't want to soil themselves in Samaria, would have went across the river, around Samaria, and then into Galilee. But the most direct route to Galilee was through Samaria. You see? Now, a lot of people have taken this idea that he had to go through Samaria another way. That this shows God's sovereign will at work in Jesus. Jesus, knowing what the Father wanted him to do, knew that he had to go through Samaria. To talk to this lady at the well in Sychar. Amen? So we see a double meaning possibly in he, him having to go through Samaria. Now I want to read a couple notes here. Uh, Jesus' encounter with the, uh, where did I go? There we go. Am I in the right spot? There we go. Four, four. There we go. He says he must needs may indicate that Jesus is <laughs> that Jesus itinerantly was set. His itinerary was set by the sovereign plan of God. This is one of the notes in this King James Bible, and it gives you verses from the Book of John, verse chapter nine, verse four, chapter ten, verse sixteen, chapter twelve, verse thirty-four, chapter twenty, verse nine where he uses the same terminology that he must go somewhere. And it's obvious after reading John that Jesus was being led about to do what? The Father's will. Amen. So this was not, in my opinion, just as a simple matter of geography. Okay? 
Because first of all, it does not tell us that he went through Samaria to get to Judea. Notice how it leaves that out. It doesn't say that he went through Samaria to get to Judea when he left Galilee, because that's where he was, right? Cana of Galilee, isn't that right? And then he came this way south, right, to Judea. Does not say that he went through Samaria on the way through. Notice that. Why? Because he probably did what everybody else does and went around. I know we don't want to think about it like that. What did he say, though? Came from the Jew first, right? Know what he said? Just tell him. Notice that it does not say that he came to Galilee, or came to Judea from Galilee through Samaria. But it makes mention of him going back. Amen? Okay, I'll continue sitting here. Through Samaria was the most direct route from Judea to Galilee. But strict Jews, wishing to avoid defilement, bypassed Samaria by taking a longer, less direct route. This involved crossing the Jordan and traveling east on the eastern side of the river. Now that right there uh, speaks volumes as to how the Jews saw the Samaritans, okay? But I also want you to have a background here that the feeling was mutual because Samaritans thought they were the direct descendants of Jacob, hence her argument with him later on about Jacob's well-being there and them worshiping on Mount Gerizim, okay? Because they still offer blood sacrifice on that mountain today. They believe Mount Gerizim is the place where Abram offered Isaac. And the Jews believe that Mount Moriah is the place that Abram offered Isaac. Do you realize that the Samaritans, even in Jesus' day, had their own version of the Pentateuch? Their own version that told the story their way. Didn't know that? Yeah, they had their own version of the Pentateuch even then. Those fragments, the, the, the Samaritan Pentateuch, is survived today. You can Google it and look it up. It's a real thing. I want to read another note here. <clears throat> now, this one gives us a bit more uh, reason. Okay, Jesus had to pass this way because geographically it was the shortest route. But the words may also indicate that Jesus was itinerantly subject to the sovereignty and providential plan of God the Father. To be necessary is what it could mean, which always indicates divine necessity or required requirement elsewhere in John. And he cites in the ESB study Bible, they cite John 3 and 7, John 3, 14, John 3, 30, 
John 9 and 4, John 10 and 6, John 12 and 34, and John 20 and 9. Notice how the last half of that he's quoting the same ones that the King James was quoting, right? He just added a few more on there. John 3, 7, uh, 14, and 30 said the same thing. Same word, same phrase. Through Samaria was the usual route taken by travelers from Judea to Galilee, though strict Jews, in order to avoid defilement, could pass by Samaria by opting for a longer route that involved crossing the Jordan and traveling on the east side. The Samaritans were radically a radically mixed group, partly Jew and partly Gentile in ancestry, with, uh, who were disdained by both Jews and non-Jews, which describes how the king of Assyria brought foreign people and settled them in Samaria in 722 B.C. Over time, they, they had intermarried with some of the Jews who had remained in the area. Many inhabitants of this region of Judea and Galilee were descendants of Old Testament Northern Kingdom Israelites, Although, from, Jewish, from the Jewish perspective, Samaritans had assimilated strongly into non-Jewish culture and had intermarried with Mesopotamian colonists. The Samaritans had their own version of the Pentateuch and their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Their own rendering of the Israelite history, copies of their Pentateuch in Hebrew and Turamic uh, Aramaic remain existing today as they do basic historical narratives. Tension often ran between the Jews and the Samaritans. Thus, Josephus recounts fighting between the Jews and the Samaritans during Claudius's reign in the first century AD being so intense that Roman soldiers were called to pacify and to crucify many of the rebels. And this is recorded in Josephus' uh, uh, writing, The Jewish War. Okay? You can go read all that. I got Josephus in my library, too. If you want it, you can read it and read up all over on it, all that you want. But the reality is we make really light of the fact that this lady says, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? See, it wasn't just the fact that he was a guy and she was a girl. There was obvious cultural prejudices that were at play in this discussion, okay? She was, in his opinion, in the Jewish opinion, she was an outsider, a, uh, a non-Jewish person. Even though she probably had Jewish blood in her, she wasn't a pure Jew. Therefore, she wasn't part of Israel. She was a Samaritan. They had defiled themselves and they had corrupted their self with all the different groups that lived in that area prior to this. Amen? Now, there's also something that you probably should know, and if you uh, can't think of exactly who it was, but they set up uh, which, which uh, king set up altars 
over there in that area. Uh, he set one up at Bethel and, and another place, and that's where they worshipped instead of going to Jerusalem to worship. Remember that? Hey, guys. I believe there's a note in your Bible that talks about that. So go ahead and look for it, and when you find it, I'll read it. Uh, somewhere on the bottom of that page you're reading, there's a note that talks about why they were separated. Uh, what, when it's on the note that talks about on this mountain you should worship and you say in Jerusalem, okay? I'm pretty sure there's a note in your Bible for that. Yes, yes. Go ahead and read it. There you go. Jeroboam set up different altars and a different place of worship. And he was discouraging people from going to Jerusalem to worship. Amen? That's what it was. That's what happened. So when this woman says, hey, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? There was a lot implied in that statement. Amen? There, was, there wasn't just, hey, I'm a chick and you're a dude and, and I'm a Jew and you're, or you're a Jew and I'm not. You know what I mean? Not only did the Jews look down on Samaritans, but the Samaritans also looked at the Jews like they were not really worshiping God right because they thought you should worship at Gerizim. Hence, you say in Jerusalem is where we ought to worship and we worship here. Right? Now watch this. We keep reading. The first thing that I noted is her cultural uh, identity. She identified with Jesus culturally. Jesus totally ignores her. Okay? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. He ignored her. He didn't even say anything about that. Most people would have got stuck right there. Hold on, what are you talking about? We're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Are you crazy? Solomon built the temple. You know, the glory of God fell on the temple. Nobody can even walk around in there because the glory cloud. I know Pentecostals go crazy when they hear about the glory cloud, okay? <laughs> the glory cloud was so great. Nobody can even walk around and do their job. That's what it says. That's what happened when Solomon's temple was christened. It happened. Spirit of the Lord was so thick, they couldn't even go in there to minister. That's what the scripture says. Amen? So I'm sure a lot of people would got stuck right there arguing about why in the world this, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus' words to her, he says, <laughs> the woman said, uh, the woman of Samaria came and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Where's the side of the gone in the sea? And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a, for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then notice this isn't Jesus' words, okay? This is a note that John puts in here. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That wasn't something that was spoken. 
This is something John wrote in there so you understand why what she said was so important. Because most of us, especially nowadays, especially Greeks that lived hundreds of miles away from this, when they read John's book, they'd have been like, if John didn't put that in there, they'd have been like, what is this Jew and Samaritan thing? I don't know anything about this. Why is that important? Well, it's important because Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. So John put it in there. So you would know. So the Greeks that he was hoping would read this, you know, they're trying to get the gospel spread across the world, right, when he's writing this letter. This isn't just, this isn't a letter just to nobody. It's important, right? He's trying to get his point across. Why did John write this letter? Anybody remember why John wrote the letter? John 20 and 31. Let's go and look at it. John 20 and 31. Very important for you guys to remember some of these things because John wrote the letter with a purpose, right? John 20 and 31. But I, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John was writing everything he wrote for this purpose. There's nothing in it. You realize John doesn't give you a chronological order of Jesus' whole three years. John gives you the first year in bits and pieces. He skips the entire second year. And then you get the last half of the year of Jesus' life, all in the last 15 chapters almost. John skips that much. Why? Because he's writing this not to give a direct chronological account of what happened. He's writing this so that you would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that in believing that, you would have life in his name. Amen? So when I, we go back here, like I said, this isn't something that the woman said. This isn't something Jesus said. This is something John put in here so that you know why it's important that she said, why are you a Jew asking me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? That'd make no sense to Jewish or Greek people that read that. That, that would make no sense unless John put that in there and said, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Now it makes sense. Amen? Now watch this. Jesus' response. He said, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Anybody have a clue what living water is? What's the living water he could have been talking about? Because this has a twofold meaning too, okay? I'm just letting you know. Living water. Let me give you, let me give you a re one, reason number one. This well that's in, it, this, is, this well is in the place that it says it's in. There's a Mount, Mount Ebal is right here. And then on the other side of this valley, there's Mount Gerizim. And there's a well at the base of Mount Gerizim called Jacob's Well. Okay? Now, this isn't in the Bible. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says Jacob dug that well. 
we know that that was the land that was given to Jacob, or Jacob gave to Joseph, you know what I mean? We don't know that Jacob dug that well. Sumerian tradition said Jacob dug the well. That's why she said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? See? But that well's really there, really in that valley, really by Mount Gerizim, okay? That well is not fed by a spring. It's not fed, fed by an underground water supply. It's fed by rainwater. So it goes in the hole and it sits there. It's stagnant water, not living water. Living water would be a stream running through it or well, up, you know, groundwater that soaks up into it. That's living water, moving water. So this is a double meaning that John's bringing out in this too. Because we know Jesus wasn't even talking about the water in the ground, was he? He was talking about the water he's going to give. What? With eternal life, right? He says that. He makes that clear in his statement. But the living water would have drawn especially people who lived in this area and knew that well. That it was a well that collected rainwater and not a live well. Okay? That would have meant a lot to them. Living water? What? Now watch this. He says, <laughs> if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now the woman's thought process starts to change just a little bit, okay? Watch this. She says, she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, first of all, she's trapped in thinking about this as a stream or living water running through here. She's not thinking spiritually at all. She's thinking physically. She knows that this well is fed by rainwater. She's like, what living water? There's no living water around here. Where are you going to get it? Right? There's not a creek, a river, anywhere near this. Right? She's trying to figure it out. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you, now watch this. Now she starts asking some spiritual questions. Notice that she's the one that engages this cultural or heritage thing with Jesus both times. She brought up being, him being a Jew. Now she's going to bring up Jacob, okay? And it's going to lead into worship, and it's going to lead into the Messiah. Watch. She said, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus ignores her comments about Jacob again, or, you know, culturally, because she's still trying to approach it naturally, right? Jesus says, everyone that drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now that spring of water probably still had her trapped. 
probably still had a mind trapped in living water like earthly. How do I know that? Well, because she says something that tells me that's where she's trapped. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and not have to come here and get water. She's still thinking about this well. She's still thinking about natural things. Watch how Jesus changes the whole narrative, okay? Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. Right then, the woman was like, uh, huh? And she looked at him, and she didn't lie. Bless her heart, she did not lie. Jesus even tells her she didn't lie, right? The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. This is the third point that I was writing down in my notes. First she said, Hey, what are you doing? You're a Jew. Don't talk to me. Right? And then she tried to get into an argument with him about who's greater, him or Jacob. She obviously wasn't there when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, Before Abraham was, I am. Right? She doesn't know who she's talking to. Right? When he asked her to go get her husband, and then she says, I don't have a husband, and then he says, I know you don't have one. You've had five. And the guy you're with now, he ain't your husband. And in her mind, immediately, she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now watch what she does. She brings up worship. The minute she thinks he's a prophet, she brings up Worship. She's worried about where to worship. Notice this. I want you to, before I even read it again, she's worried about where to worship. Jesus is worried about who you worship. Watch. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She brought it up. What is she talking about? Well, she's talking about the fact that the Samaritans believe that Mount Gerizim is the mountain that Abraham offered Isaac. They believe that Jacob worshipped on that mountain. So they believe that mountain that Jeroboam put the altar on is the place that they had to worship at. And she said, well, the Jews, you guys say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. And notice that while she's worried about the place to worship, Jesus ignores that. Watch what he says. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. She didn't say the Father. Do you know what the name of the God that they worship on the mountain of Gerizim is? They don't know. To the God of the universe. That's who they sacrifice to. To the God of the universe. They don't call him by name. To the God of the universe. Okay? 
Now watch this. He says, you worship what you don't know. Why is he saying that? Because he knows that they worship the God of the universe. Now they may very well have the right intention to worship Yahweh, but they're not naming him. Amen? They're calling him the God of the universe. So he looks at her and says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now watch this. Why is he saying this? He's, is he saying, oh, you got to be a Jew to get saved? What he's saying is the promised Savior was to come through the Jews. Right? Christ. The one that's talking to her. The one we get to in this story. Right? What's the whole point of John's book? To show you that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And that by believing that, you'll have life in his name. This is a point that John drives home over and over and over in his book. That Jesus is the Christ. It's the gospel over and over and over and over. Now watch this. You worship what you know not. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now I, this ain't in any note that you'll ever find. I haven't saw a commentary that made this assessment. But here you're seeing Jesus' reason why John wrote he had to go through Samaria. You see it right here. The Father seeks such to worship him. Why was Jesus there? To do the Father's will. Jesus came to what? Seek and to save those who were lost. Right? Not what it said? Isn't that what the Bible says? So Jesus came to Samaria because he was about the Father's work to find this woman. Amen? Notice, and we'll get to it here in a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some comparisons, but I'm going to wait. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, now watch this. You can see this as plain as the nose on my face. Do you remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they all started saying, oh, John the Baptist or you know, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, Elias, right? He said, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, son of the living God. And he looked at Peter and he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father in heaven. Now, at no point, at any point, did Jesus say that he was the Messiah or the Christ yet. Didn't even talk about that. But this woman's eyes get opened. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I who speak to you am he. Now watch this. We're going to read a little farther. We didn't read this far, but I'm going to read the rest. Jesus then, uh, just then Jesus' disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. 
But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into, a, into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me that uh, all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were come to meet him. This woman immediately just started going to tell people she found the Christ. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Eat, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said one to another, Has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said unto them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, a lot of people take this verse and, and try to say that Jesus, uh, this is some kind of sign that Jesus wasn't really there in the flesh because he didn't have to have food. No, it's just like any other time. Let, let's just say we was all getting uh, ready to sit down and eat. And then someone with a need came in. And then we all of our attention got focused on helping them. Right? Some people might, after they're so excited about being able to help somebody or do something for somebody, they're going to say, I'm not even hungry now. This happened to us used to happen to us when we go to Bible study, go preach to people on, at, at, at the park and stuff. You know what I mean? We just, man, I'm really hungry. And all of a sudden we just start talking about the Bible again. And then two or three more hours go by and we realize we hadn't ate nothing at all. Right? It's all that's happening here. Jesus is saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said, what, was, what just happened was more important than me eating. Matter of fact, that was so much more satisfying than eating. I don't even think I'm hungry now. It's all he's saying. Ain't some mystical thing. Jesus was tired when he got to the well. Isn't that what scripture says? It said he was tired and hungry, right? Or tired and thirsty. There's no way Jesus was not a man. He was, a, he, he was in the flesh. He really was a person. He got tired. He got hungry. He cried, right? He slept. Come on. Let me let you in on a couple more things Jesus probably did since he was a man. He probably peed, he probably pooped, he probably farted. Just to let you know, I mean, let's keep it 100, right? He probably did all that. Belched when he you know, ate some good stuff. I know y'all don't want to think about that. You're like, Jesus, he never farted or burped. Or... No, he did. He even got mad, right? Jesus was really there. He was really, but he is not, what he's not saying is, I'm not really here and I'm not really in the flesh. Matter of fact, John, in the book of John, 1 John, he says, this is how you know truth from error. Anyone who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is not from God, right? John debunks that, that idea already was surfacing in John's day. That's why in 1 John he dealt with that very subject. Amen? We got that same kind of error trying to creep into the church again today where people think Jesus was just some mystical flowing spirit that walked around there and wasn't really here in his flesh. No. The word became flesh. The word Emmanuel means what? God with us. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you can't crucify a spirit. Amen. 
Amen. Let's keep reading before I get lost on that subject. We could get on that one all day. <laughs> Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, and I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wage and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. Now watch this. Many Samaritans of that town believed in him because, the woman, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You know what? Jesus means Jehovah saves what did the angel say when he told Joseph to name Jesus Jesus he will save his people from their sins notice Jesus didn't say all this to them this is the conclusion they reached by the Spirit of God at the testimony of Christ. This is the whole reason John's writing this down. So that when you hear it, you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ. Come on. That's good stuff, ain't it? That's good stuff. Notice this woman's transition was from him being a Jew and then she started trying to talk about Jacob and then she... Then she was trying to talk about, you know, where you where to worship. And Jesus was like, no, we're talking about who you should worship. Not where, but what? Who? Amen? That's the point. We, you know, we got a lot of people running around doing a lot of things that looks Christianese, sounds Christianese, but are they worshiping Christ? It's their gospel about him. Because the reality, the if you knew how many times the Bible calls the gospel the gospel of God, the gospel's about God, not you. God wasn't missing something. He didn't have to make man. He chose to. God wasn't missing something. He didn't have to save man. He chose to save us. We need to stop it with the nonsense. And then she's she moves on and says, I think you're a prophet. And then when he keeps talking, she says, I know that the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. And Jesus reveals to her for the first time in, in Scripture, he adamantly admits that he's the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. Amen? I want to show you how John wrote this book, okay? This chapter. You remember what, what the last chapter was? It was Nicodemus, right? I want to show you some contrasts. Nicodemus was a man. This was a woman. 
Remember why John wrote the book? To show that Jesus is the Christ, right? Son of God. And that by believing in him, you'll have life eternal. Watch this. Jesus came to save men and women. Nicodemus was an outstanding ruler. The woman was an outcast. Doesn't matter where you came from. Jesus came to save you. Watch this. Nicodemus had a name. That's how important he was. We don't even know this lady's name. This woman from Samaria. Woman at the well. That's the only, the only name she's got. He sought Jesus out. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Jesus came after this woman. Nicodemus was a Jew. This woman was a Samaritan. This guy was morally worldly. Probably as morally perfect as a Jew could be. Nicodemus. This woman was obviously immoral, right? Five husbands and the guy she's with now ain't her husband. I don't know how to get too much farther down the road than that, right? I mean, that's, that's not good, right? Come on. Nicodemus didn't even give Jesus a response. Notice all the stuff that Jesus told Nicodemus. Nicodemus did, never said, I believe you're the Christ. This woman did. Immediate response. With Nicodemus, Jesus was blunt. With this woman, Jesus was very tactful. With Nicodemus, Jesus started with spiritual things. With this woman, he started with a cup of water. Secular, worldly things. All of this is the contrast that Jesus came to save all kinds of people. Notice that Jesus started his ministry in Canaan, then went to Judea, then went to Samaria, Galilee, Judea, Samaria. He went to all three of them places in the first four chapters of the book of John. John's showing you this because Jesus didn't come for the Jew only. He didn't come for the rich and the well, uh, you know, the, the religious elite only. He didn't come for, he came for people just like this woman. People just like you. People just like me. The unworthy. The unwanted. Amen? Amen? John's drawing this contrast to show you the links and the grace of God that Jesus showed to everyone to reach anyone. Amen? Jesus was here to save those, and we'll say it like the Bible says, those whom the Father gave him. Amen? Well, his, that's Jesus' own words. Those whom the Father gives me will come to me. That's Jesus' words, John chapter 6. Those whom the Father will give me, who, those who the Father gave me will come unto me. And no one who comes unto me 
right? No one who comes unto me will be cast out. Amen? I get this question all the time because there's such confusion about election or, or, or predestination. They're like, oh man, how do you know you're not? How do you know you're not? It doesn't matter. If you feel the call, you're, well, you're part of it. Amen? Because the reality is those who aren't seeking God are not part of the elect. It's pretty obvious. That's hard teaching. You realize everybody, unless you're a universalist, is everybody going to go to heaven, Mike? No. So we already can establish not everybody's going to heaven. There's an election, and we can disagree on how it happens. But there's some people that's going to go to heaven, some people ain't. Amen? Jesus came to save. My question for you is is Jesus going to fail in his mission? Does, G does God ever fail? And we preach on that for like a year. You can go back and watch the sermon. God don't ever fail. Jesus came to Samaria for a reason. And he walked out of there with everything that he came there for. Guaranteed. Amen. Just like he walked into your life. And he go, he's getting everything that he came there for. Amen. Jesus had need to come to Cockville, Kansas. April 14th, 1994. In case you didn't know, that's when I got saved. That's when, that's when I come to know God. Amen. There's people sitting by wells all over Coffeeville. And they're waiting for people to bring the gospel. They don't need all this other stuff that's floating around called Christian teaching or whatever it is. They need the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that will save. Self-help will not save you. Having a having a, uh, 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 psych, a psychologist kind of uh, ministry isn't going to save. It might help some people's mental uh, might help them mentally for a little while, but it will not save them eternally. The gospel saves. Jesus saves. Amen. That's who we need to be lifted up, not Kevin. That's why we never wanted to name this Kevin O'Connor's ministry or any of that crazy nonsense. You know, you know how them people got their own ministries in their own name. Why? Because they're not wanting to promote Christ. They want to promote them. They want to lift up their name. And yeah, they look successful in it. But I don't count success just because they have this world's goods count success by how faithfully I preach the gospel. Amen? We need to understand why Jesus came. He didn't come to fail at what he did. Jesus won. The gospel wins. Amen? I read the end of the book. The gospel wins. God's grace, God's mercy, God's wrath wins. Amen? 
I'm going to close with this. Notice that Jesus, although he didn't outright condemn her sin, he did not justify her sin. Preaching the gospel, we must give way to God's judgment. Sinners need to know that if they don't turn, judgment is what they look forward to. Amen? But we also need to show them that God loves those who turn. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We praise you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that even now, Lord, your spirit is using this message to reach the hearts of all of those, God, that are listening. Lord, we ask that you would save and draw and renew and regenerate everyone that you have and that you've chosen, God, that have let you work on their heart. God, I pray that you would just call them out of darkness into your wonderful light, God. I pray that you would wake up dead souls tonight, Lord, that you would bring them to new life in Christ Jesus, Lord. And I pray, God, that as they do, God, they would go and find a place, God, where they can get plugged in and learn about what it means to follow Christ. Lord, I pray that this church would begin to be a, a, a hub and a place where people who know you can come and learn and grow in the knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace and mercy for all of the things that we do, good or bad, God, that we would be successful and our lives would glorify you in the outcome. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.